Forgiveness. It's kind of messy. It's very complicated. We began last week talking about this whole thing of forgiveness and what it means to forgive someone. And as we talked about it, uh, we discovered last week in looking at forgiveness and just trying to discover what it is, that first of all, before we can understand how to forgive one another, we must understand what it means, how God has forgiven us. And let me give you a brief definition from what we talked about last week. Forgiveness means this. It means that God has given us something, a gift, at Christmas that uh, we needed the most but deserved the least, and that is forgiveness. What he's done to us, he's given us something that we simply don't deserve, and, and, and in doing so, he's explained to us what it means to forgive. And last week, we began the process of uncovering a biblical definition of forgiveness. And we discovered something else, that forgiveness is something, even in Christian circles sometimes, that is misunderstood. A few years ago, back in the early 80s, there was a book written by a guy named Lewis Smeads. And Lewis wrote the book. It was called uh, Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve. It became a bestseller among Christian circles. I went on Amazon.com the other day just to look at, you know, where you can look at the reviews. Still out there, still selling a lot of books. Uh, it's an important book uh, that because of how many it's sold. And, and the problem with it is, in a sense, that book is, is a representative of and responsible on some level for a great deal of wrong Christian thinking about forgiveness. Uh, Smeads essentially defined forgiveness as ceasing to feel resentment or anger, anger over an offense or perceived offense. Forgiveness, he says, is a private strategy for defeating bitterness and hate. He says forgiveness becomes a means of being healed of your hate. He says he eternalizes and privatizes forgiveness by making it primarily an activity that goes on within an individual's person's heart and mind. And the logic of Smeads, what we might call therapeutic forgiveness approach, initially is very compelling for all of us. Now, he says this, that forgiveness, that feeling anger and bitterness is very damaging to a person. Would you agree with that? Sure. It's very damaging to a person. He says, therefore, we should all forgive the wrongs done to us. And then he says, therefore, we should all forgive the wrongs done to us. Then how, that is how we cease to feel anger and resentment. Now, it sounds good. It sounds healthy. And part of that is it's just a partial definition. But the problem is, is it redefines forgiveness in an unbiblical format. It doesn't go as far as Scripture goes. Because in a real sense, forgiveness becomes an emotion rather than a transaction between two persons. And specifically, forgiveness becomes the universal antidote for bitterness. While one of the byproducts of following God's plan for forgiveness is releasing bitterness in our life, that is not the end or the purpose of forgiveness that God talks about. This morning, what I want to do is spend a few moments talking about what God's Word has to say to us about forgiveness but also I want to share with you a true story and uh, intersperse several parts of that story today, a true story. Uh, and I could have used any number of stories to illustrate this morning, but I think so often we understand things better by hearing a story about it, about how something lived out than sometimes we do by any other means. Uh, Jesus taught in parables and he usually used stories, and as he used stories, people understood what he meant. And I believe this story this morning, this true story of a, of a young man who lived out a biblical definition of forgiveness in his own life will help us to undersee, understand what God wants us to do about forgiveness. The story is about uh, a guy that uh, actually I read about the story first in a book, and uh, and, and the book is a, is, a, is a really good book. Uh, one of the best ones I found recently on forgiveness. It was just written about a year ago. Uh, if anybody wants to read further, I would encourage you. It's by an author named Chris Bronze, B R A U N S. It's called Unpacking Forgiveness. 
And I got a lot of material out of that book over the last couple of weeks. And, and there's so much in there, and it's really not a big book, but so much in there that I actually um, it made me aware of, of how limited that these, this three-week series is in regard to try to cover this topic of forgiveness. So we'll do our best to try to uh, just, just uh, skim the surface this morning. The story begins, and I actually went online and looked and found a copy of the actual story where he tells it himself, the young man this happened to. The story was, uh, was called, I Faced My Killer Again. And it says this, and the first part of the story says this, Friday, December 20th, 1974, was the last day of school before Christmas vacation. I was 10 years old and excited about, coming, uh, about the upcoming holiday as I got off the school bus that afternoon. A few doors from my home in Coral Gables, Florida, a man came up to me, introduced himself as Chuck, and asked if I were Hugh Carrier's son. I said yes, and then he asked if I could help him with the decorations for a party he was hosting for my father. Thinking that he was a friend of my dad's, I agreed to go with him, you know, trusting young kid. What I didn't know was that this man held a grudge against my family. He had been employed as a caregiver for my great uncle, but had been fired six months earlier because of his drinking. After I agreed to accompany him, he began driving north from Miami. We didn't talk much. I figured since he knew my parents that he must be trustworthy. I did not suspect what would happen next. In an isolated area north of Miami, he stopped by the side of the road, went to the back of the vehicle, grabbed an ice pick, and began stabbing me in the shoulder and the back. I tried to fight back, but he was bigger and stronger. Pinning me to the floor, he stabbed me in the chest several times. I was a regular churchgoer, so I remember Jesus' words on the cross that I had just studied recently. When Jesus was on the cross, he had cried, Father, forgive him, because he doesn't know what he's doing. He said he told his attacker that he would just, if it would just take him home, I would forgive him, or forget about the whole thing. Miraculously, none of the stab wounds were deep, all less than a half inch deep, so I wasn't badly hurt. Perhaps he could not bring himself to kill a boy with his own hands. Chuck, the guy, began driving toward the Florida Everglades. Why are you doing this, I asked. Because your father cost me a lot of money, he answered roughly. Then he revealed his plans... Uh, next plans to abandon me but tell my father where I was. I believed him and I, and I knew I was helpless anyway. We stopped off the main road and he walked me out to some bushes 20 to 30 feet away and as he turned he unexpectedly pulled out a handgun and shot me in the head leaving me to die. It's a true story. Uh, this young man Chris Carrier has been on numerous TV shows over the years talked about his episode. This morning we're going to learn more about him and what it means to understand what forgiveness is all about. The question when we hear something like this or when you've encountered something in your life, a traumatic situation, is how in the world could the, could the carrier family possibly process their son's, son's abduction? But a story like Chris Carrier's is needed in order to give context to the scripture that we're going to talk about today, to the main quick question. And the main question is, how should Christians forgive others? That's the main question we're going to talk about. How should Christians Forgive others. With all the, the confusion and the, and, the, and the misunderstanding and, you know, people, uh, you know, just grabbing a hold of a, of a concept like therapeutic forgiveness. It's all about something you just do in your mind and leaving out the whole thing of reconciliation. How do, how does, how does uh, Christians forgive others? Last week we talked about uh, 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 this whole process and we looked at Scripture and we peeled back some layers. And let me give you a, a definition from this book I mentioned by Chris Bronze, Unpacking Forgiveness. He says, God's forgiveness is this, a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they may be reconciled to Him. Although this commitment does not eliminate all consequences. 
We talked about all those different parts last week. If you missed last week, you can go get the CD out in the lobby, or you can go and get our podcast and listen to it more. Or if you want to read even more about it, grab a hold of Chris Braun's book. I'm not trying to sell books, by the way. It just happens to be one of the best books I've read about forgiveness in a long time. When I look at Scripture, I understand several times, we looked at this last week, that God wants us to forgive others as he forgives us. It, it, it's incredibly clear in Scripture. Matter of fact, he's not only just wants us to do that, but he wants us to have a ministry of doing that. He calls us all to a, what he calls a ministry of reconciliation. It says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. We're not called, every one of us, you know, every one of you are a minister. I'm a minister. All of us are called to this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing about healing and wholeness between people. And we don't do it the way the world does it. We don't give to people forgiveness because they simply deserve it. But we do it the way, and we'll talk about that more, about the way God does it. We implore you on behalf of Christ then to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how do we forgive? How do we forgive? Well, let me share, based upon the definition uh, that we had just a moment ago, the definition of how God forgives, and based upon the fact that God says to us over and over again, we'll look at some of those vast passages again in just a moment, that God says that we're to forgive the same way. How do we define the way that we forgive each other? That we're to, as Christians to forgive others. Let me give you this definition. Forgiveness is this, a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability. And to be reconciled with that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning because that is one of the things we need to understand that there's this whole thing of reconciliation that's part of the process of, of, of forgiveness. God's end result in a hell, in, for us to uh, forgive others is not about us releasing bitterness, even though that is a byproduct and a good byproduct of dealing with this in a godly way. God wants us also, our end result should be in a real sense, to bring about reconciliation and restoration. Now let me share about this definition first of all. This definition contains or retains the central elements, I believe, of how God forgives. First of all, Christians should forgive graciously. Graciously. Biblical forgiveness is a freely offered gift. When we give somebody forgiveness, we give it to them freely offered, not because they deserve it. It's the first thing we need to understand. God gave us forgiveness. He offers us the forgiveness that we need, the gift that we need the most but deserve the least, in spite of who we are. And that's the first step in understanding forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about the fact, it's not about the other person being deserving of their forgiveness. It's about the other person, uh, it's about the reality that God wants us to be ministers of reconciliation, to rebuild relationships, not go through the world, you know, having all unrepaired relationships. He wants us to do our part, and the first part that we're to do is to offer graciously uh, forgiveness to other people. See, in biblical forgiveness, uh, the for forgiving person pays the price of forgiveness. 
We have to be the first one. I loved recently, we went to a marriage uh, conference over uh, at Northwoods that was actually by a guy named Emerson Egerich. And uh, one of the things he talked about there, he said that one of the problems so often in relationships with couples and the reason they don't get healed and resolved is because, is because one person won't go first. He said this, he said this, you know, he's, and he used this over and over, and I love the way he said this, and I'm just going to use this today. He said, you know, uh, the mature person always goes first. You know, <laughs> how many of you like to be called immature? You know, I'm immature. Yes, that's what we all want to be. So I want to tell you this morning, in forgiveness, the mature person always go first. The person who is mature in Christ goes first. They paid the price. It's not about whether the other person deserves it. God d- gave us, God, the mature person, the creator of the universe, gave us what we, what we needed the most but deserved the least, forgiveness. And so forgiveness starts there. It's, it's that process. It says in Scripture in Ephesians 4.32, we looked at these a couple of Scriptures last week along with a ton of other ones. Uh, for Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Can it be any clearer than that? The standard for forgiveness is the way Christ forgave us. Also in Colossians 3.13, it says, Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord is forgiving you, so you must also, you also must forgive. In that Ephesians passage, Paul used a word for forgiveness. It's not really a common word that's used so often for forgive because there's several words that could be used in Greek. But the word translated forgive is based on the same word that normally is translated grace in Scripture. Grace meaning undeserved, unmerited favor. It's saying we should treat one another. In a real sense, Ephesians 4.32 could be translated, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Being gracious to one another as God in Christ was gracious to you. See, the, the offer, the gracious offer of forgiveness is unconditional from our part. It was unconditional from God's part. The offer is unconditional. Christians should always have a disposition of grace toward those who offend them. Now, I didn't say this morning's going to be easy, by the way, okay? This is not an easy subject to deal with. But let me explain to you. Let me just say it in love. You know, sometimes in life, the things that are worth pursuing are not easy. They're hard. And this is one on that's hard. And if you do not, next week we're going to talk about, you know, what if I choose not to forgive? What if I choose bitterness? What's going to happen? You know, Jesus on the cross, modeled on the cross this, this whole thing of of, of forgiving people or offering forgiveness. The people who had placed him on the cross, he said this. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what, they're do, what they do. Luke 23. See, even when he was dying on the cross of an excruciating death and before there was any repentance on the part of the people who, who had put him on the cross, even before, he offered grace. We're to follow his example. Let me go a little bit further with the Chris Carrier story to tell you about how that worked in his life. Remember, as we left him, he had been the, the, uh, the man, had pulled out a gun, handgun, shot him in the head. Next part. For six days, Chris says, I was unconscious. Amazingly, when I awoke, I wasn't aware I'd been shot. I wasn't even hungry. 
I thought I'd taken a nap and expected my father to arrive so we could celebrate Christmas together. Little did I know that my parents were frantic. The local police and the FBI were combing South Florida. They had interviewed my teachers, my classmates, and my neighbors. No one knew anything. My family offered a $10,000 reward to anyone who could give information leading to my safe return. Chris says, I sat down on a rock by the road until a man in a pickup stopped. He figured something was wrong with me when he noticed a boy with two black eyes and a bloody shirt sitting in the middle of nowhere the day after Christmas. He took me first to his home and then to the sheriff's department. From there, I called my father. Because my family had received several prank phone calls because of the $10,000 reward offering, my father asked two specific questions to confirm it was me. He asked the name of our family dog and the number of our sailboat we had used. The sheriff took me to a hospital in Naples, Florida, where x-rays revealed a bullet had passed uh, behind my eyes and exited my right temple without causing any brain damage. Between the gunshot wound and the stab wounds, the doctors couldn't believe how little blood I had lost. Two weeks later at home, I described the person who had assaulted me to a police artist, and my uncle recognized the sketch as that of David McAllister, the former employee. He was brought in along with other suspects, but for some reason I was able to identify him in a lineup. I don't know why I missed him. Unfortunately, the police could not obtain any physical evidence to link him to the crime, so he was never charged. The attack left me blind in my left eye, but otherwise uninjured. With loving support, my family and my friends and I went back to school in late January and resumed my life. For the next three years, I lived with tremendous anxiety. Most nights I would wake up frightened, imagining I heard someone coming in the back door. I'd find refuge in my parents' room, curling up on the floor at the foot of their bed. Two or three years after the incident, I came across a photo of David McAllister in a desk drawer. I told my parents that he was the man who hurt me. And although they too suspected him, they knew nothing could be done about it without new evidence, which didn't come forth. He goes a little bit further and tells some things about how he grew up. Uh, he finished high school, went on to Mercer University, completed an MDiv, uh, Master of Divinity at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in 94, got married, had family, became a youth director in a church. He talks about that going on in his life as well. Come back and tell you some more about the story in a few minutes because that's not all there is. But the thing is, is through all this, remember the very first, uh, uh, Chris, Chris Carrier had this attitude. He said he remembered, and as he was laying there being stabbed, he said, I remembered what Jesus had done and what he had said on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he said, I repeated that to my, the person who was trying to kill me. He had this attitude of grace even early on, this attitude of forgiveness early on. He understood it as, as a small child. See, not only is forgiveness gracious, but it's also a commitment. We talked about that last week. God makes a commitment to us. And forgiveness, forgiveness is a promise to pardon another person in a real sense. Uh, Ken Sandy wrote a book called The Peacemaker. And in that book, he, he summarizes the four promises that Christians make when they forgive another person. This is the commitment we make to one another. These, the commitment says, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident, and I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That is the offer. When we offer the gift of forgiveness to someone else, that is the offer we make. This is the commitment I make to you, that in spite of the fact that you've hurt me, in spite of the fact that these things have gone on in my life, I want to make this commitment, and I'm offering you this gift. Now, see, that's what God calls us to do. Uh, That's our part in the forgiveness process. And God says as you work through this, it gives you, uh, it allows you to deal with some of the issues that you deal with through all these things. 
You see, by making these promises, you can tear down the walls or begin the process of tearing down the walls that stand between you and your offender. You promise not to dwell or to brood over the problem or to punish that person by holding that person at a distance. That's something that we're called to do. But also, I have to say this, but I have to also say this. But see, when God forgives us and he, gives, he offers us the gift, it's still a gift that's, un, that's not opened yet. The gift that God calls us to, to give, the gift our gift God gives to us, and he calls us to give to others, is a gift that, that he gives to us freely. And we're to give to other people freely as well. But remember what Scripture said about the gift that he gives to us. The gift is, is only appropriated, only used, only uh, really used by the repentant. There is a condition. That condition that when we offer forgiveness to someone, we can't make them be repentant of what they do. But if forgiveness is going to actually happen, and forgiveness is going to be beyond just the feelings we have inside, and forgiveness is going to be about bring about restoration or reconciliation, which God wants it to bring about, then what's going to have to happen is that person is going to have to ha- be repentant and have to be, and, and be sorry for what they've done. You see, to be sure, God offers grace to all people. But he forgives only those who repent and believe. They only appropriate the forgiveness. They only open the package. Only those who believe and repent. That's what the Bible says. So likewise, Jesus said that Christians should forgive, but we should do our part. But for it to really work the way it's supposed to, the other person has to repent and, 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 be, and begin to open the door for reconciliation. We freely give, like Christ freely, God freely gives to us. But there is a condition for forgiveness to work itself out all the way to where it needs to go. I love this verse in uh, uh, Luke 17 that says this, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, guess what? Forgive him. How many times? You know, Peter had this issue. How many times do we do it? He says, it says and this is, if, you're, if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Does that mean we just, you know, those of you, do y'all know the difference between uh, what real repentance is and what non-real repentance is? And if you've got kids, you know what it is when your child says, I'm sorry, whether they really mean it or whether they don't mean it? How do you know? Come on. You know, sometimes they're just sorry they got caught. That's not repentance. Repentance, let me tell you what a biblical definition of repentance is. Biblically, it mean, to repent means to change behavior as a result of complete change of thinking and attitude. People sometimes in our culture limit repentance to an emotion. Oh, I just feel sorry. But the issue is certainly emotions should be included, but at its center to repent means to turn around in actions and attitudes, and Christians always forgive those who truly turn around. Now think back to the story I'm telling you about Chris Carrier. About a guy who stabbed him and shot him in the head and left him for dead. See, Christians are to to think, in a way, think about this. Christians are to offer a present to those who have hurt them. And the package should be wrapped and tied with a ribbon with a tag that says this, to you regardless of what you've done. That's the offer. Forgiveness is what is found inside if the offender chooses to open the package. 
See, forgiveness, though, is linked to reconciliation. And to link it to reconciliation, we have to understand that when God forgives, He not only pardons sinners from guilt, He also wants to begin a new relationship. The purpose that God gives us the gift of why Jesus Christ came at Christmas, why He was born as a baby and grew to be a man, why He died upon a cross, and why God gave us the gift that we needed the most but deserved the least, the gift of forgiveness, why He gave that to us was because He wanted to be reconciled to us. He wanted to renew the relationship, make the relationship whole. And true forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is always tied to reconciliation. The assumption today seems to be that if you can forgive someone but not be reconciled to them, it's kind of like you take this package, you you offer it to somebody, you you go leave it at their door, you, you head out to the car and run away never to come back again. That's not total forgiveness. That's not the process that God wants us to do in regard to what forgiveness really is. Because finally, see, in a real sense, the forgiveness also, in a biblical sense, also means that it doesn't eliminate all consequences. Just because, let me give you an example of that, uh, just a, th- a hypothetical situation. Hypo- totally hypothetical, okay? Totally hypothetical. For instance, uh, your pastor, or any of your staff, I'll throw it on everybody else too. Um, you know, we got, came to a hard place and we're, and we're really struggling financially. And we're struggling so financially, we decided to go out and rob a bank. Totally hypothetical. And, and because of that, because of that, we make this terrible decision to go out and break the law and, and, and do it. And then, but then we feel after we do it, we come back and we're so sorry. We're truly repentant. And we said, we're never going to do it again. And we really mean it. And you know we mean it. You would forgive us, right? Forgive me, right? Well, if you're, if you're going to do it biblically, yes, you should. Because it says you must forgive the repentant. Now, would that mean that it was any consequences? Would I still have my job? No! I would have, the consequence for me of breaking the law should be that as a pastor, I would lose my job. Because I'd broken a trust in your relationship, right? You don't understand that? You need to. There are consequences. There are consequences to things that go on. And when somebody breaks a trust, it doesn't mean when you say, I want to forgive you and I will not hold this against you if someone has physically or, uh, uh, abused you. It doesn't mean you just go back and throw yourself in the middle of it. But it means I'm going to try, with, with some limitations, I'm going to try to begin the process of bringing about reconciliation. Chris Carrier's story, I told you it didn't end. Remember, this all happened initially in 1974. In, 19, in 1996, in September of 1996, Major Charles Shire of the Coral Gables Police Department, who had worked on the original investigation, called to tell me, Chris, Chris Carrier said, called to tell me that 77-year-old David McAllister had finally confessed. A friend of the policeman's tipped him off. McAllister was dying in a nearby nursing home. All along, the police had suspected McAllister was responsible for, for the kidnapping, and Shire wanted to give him a chance to confess. The statute of limitations had run out, but Shire wanted to close the case for the police, for McAllister, and most importantly for me. McAllister admitted to dropping me off in the Everglades. That was enough. Shire called me with the news, asking me if I wanted to visit McAllister. I hesitated. Over the years, when I gave my testimony, many times at church, people would ask me what I would do uh, or if I would, uh, would like to talk to the man who tried to kill me. And I'd always said, yes. But now, here was my chance. It's one thing to say yes, it's another thing to do it, right? 
Blind from glaucoma without friends or family, McAllister was in a North Miami Beach nursing home when I visited him the next day. I went with a trusted pastor friend and a reporter from the NBC affiliate in Miami. It was awkward. What do you say to someone who tried to kill you? At first, McAllister denied trying to kill me, but as the pastor questioned him gently, he admitted that he had dropped me off in the Everglades and left me. He held my hand and apologized for what he had done. I told him that I had forgiven him. And as I left, I told McAllister to have a good night's rest. I, and he said, I will now. Chris Carrier said, I visited him often in introducing him to my wife and my two girls, offering him hope and some semblance of family in the days before his death, less than a month later. I shared the gospel with him, and he trusted in Christ. He was always glad when I came by. I believe that our friendship eased his loneliness and was a great relief. Now, listen, this is a guy talking about a guy who stabbed him and, tried to, and, and shot him in the head, okay? I believe that our friendship eased his loneliness and was a great relief to him after 22 years of regrets. He told reporters from CNN that I was the best friend he'd ever had. You know, this is a beautiful picture, a real picture of Christian forgiveness in action. Ultimately, I mean, this is, this is the definition. It's not easy, but it's real. Not only did Chris Carrier make a commitment to, to David McAllister, but he came and he visited the man. He did all the, all the steps. He did everything that Christ, would, God did for us in a real sense. He, he went through the same process. You see, perhaps nothing is more glorifying to Christ than Christians forgiving others as God forgave them. Let me read the last two paragraphs of what Chris McAllister, or excuse me, Chris Carrier said. He says, I know the world might view me as a victim of a horrible tragedy, but I consider myself the victim of many miracles. The fact that I'm alive and have, have no mental deficiencies defies the odds. I've been blessed in countless ways. And while many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister, from my point of view, I couldn't not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or spend my life looking for revenge, then I wouldn't be the man I am today, the man my wife and children love, the man God has helped me to be. Chris Carrier's forgiveness of David McAllister did not go unnoticed. Columnist Leonard Pitts, uh, you may have read him before. He's actually, I think, I've read some columns in our newspaper, I think, from Leonard Pitts as well. He's a, he's a writer for the Miami Herald, I believe. He said this, and I don't know if Leonard Pitts is a Christian or not, but he says this. He said, the man, this man, talking about Chris Carrier, this man is serious about God. I don't, I don't say that because he has a master's degree in divinity and until recently was the director of youth ministries at his church. Nor because by the time you read this, he will have moved to Texas where he and his wife and his two daughters plan to open a Christian bookstore. I say this, and listen to this, I say this because he bowed alongside a man who tried to kill him. And Pitt says this, I know I couldn't do it. Yet Chris tried against all logic to redeem one weak and dirty little scrap of man. You see, the last line that Pitts wrote is so, is so important because it captures the whole essence of Christian forgiveness. Chris Carrier tried against all logic to redeem one weak and dirty little scrap of man, which is exactly what Christ did for us. Through all our righteousness was as filthy rags, the Bible says, Christ gave himself against all logic for those who, in, who turn in faith to him. See, God did it for us. We're to do it for others. Christians are to forgive others as Christ forgave them. Willingly, graciously, willingly, and freely. 
they should offer a costly present to any who offend them. And those who do repent and and those who accept the gift that we offer to them, the gift of forgiveness, when they open the gift of forgiveness, what they will find inside is forgiveness and the possibility of reconciliation and restoration. Exactly what God had in mind. Hmm. Not a lot of laughing today, is it? This is not something to laugh about. This is a tough situation. I tell you, I prayed about this, this, this today that you would not misunderstand this. And I have studied Scripture more than probably than anything I've done in my whole ministry career because there's so, misunderstanding, so many misunderstandings about this. And, and I tell you, as I read this myself, I'm thinking to myself, you know, man, there's some places in my life from the past that I have not really followed this plan too well as well. I might need to do something about some things. Not might need to, I need to. Because I, God has called me and he's called you to be a minister of reconciliation. A person whose main goal in life is to restore relationships with others. Not to leave wounded bodies along the way. So what are we going to do? Next week we're going to talk about, like I shared with you, we're going to talk about this whole thing. Of what if I choose not to forgive? What if I choose to be bitter? But I want to put a positive slant because God wants us to not choose that. He, he, he has a plan for our lives, and that plan is that we would experience the joy and the peace that comes from following his plan. And it sometimes is not easy. And real forgiveness, real forgiveness is really tough. But it's something we need to do for them and for us. But most importantly, because God says that's what he called us to be and to do. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.